Hi, and welcome this day. So glad you have chosen to join us. May our time together be one of inspiration, of things that you can dig into that help your daily life. And today, we are starting off with, do you ever feel like your life is too busy, too anxious, you feel overwhelmed to enjoy life? Like you feel like those things are getting in the way and that it's kind of like, man, how can I find a little more peace? How can I get a little more calm in the life when the world is chaotic, when it is swirly? So today we are going to get into those questions about how to do this on the ground every single day, practical ways. And we're going to use a story out of Genesis to help us navigate those questions. Because the story in Genesis, we find this guy named Isaac. He's the son of Abraham, the father of Jacob. And he is going to he's going to have issues. His day is chaotic. Sometimes it's his fault. Sometimes it's everybody else. And he's got to figure out how to find a little more peace. And so before we start reading, let us pray. God, we ask for your presence in this moment. Help us to gain new insight. Help us to gain some wisdom. Help us to know how to use scripture and apply it to our lives so that we can follow you. Amen. So starting in Genesis, the 26th chapter, verses 1 through 3 and verse 6. When a famine gripped the land, a different one from the first famine that occurred in Abraham's time, Isaac set out toward Gerar and toward King Abimelech of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, don't go down to Egypt, but settle temporarily in the land that I will show you. Stay in this land as an immigrant and I will be with you and bless you because I will give all of these lands to you and your descendants. I will keep my word, which I gave to your father, Abraham. So Isaac lived in Gerar. All right. So famine has gripped the land that food, water are scarce, which isn't good for humans, nor livestock, nor crops. And so Isaac's got to figure out something to do. It's not a good situation. It's a common situation there because it's an arid, dry land. In fact, there's still concerns even today about when there's not enough rain, that famines can still happen. And so he's got to move everybody because he's concerned about his, himself. He's concerned about his family. He's concerned about his servants, all of it. And so he's on the move. And God comes to him. God says, you know what? Don't go down to Egypt. Egypt would have been a good option because of the Nile River that produced great crops so they could thrive. And God's like, no, go over towards the Philistines. And the Philistines lived right along the Mediterranean. Uh, it's in the area we would know today, right there uh, towards the southern part of Israel that sits right on, it's near the Gaza Strip, all of that area, Philistines. And so to think about how in the world, how in the world they're going to live. And God's like, don't be afraid. That's some words we could all use, right? I'm going to bless you. Now, 
blessings here. We get into the story. It sounds a little bit materialistic, but when we're thinking about God's blessings, it's that sense of God blesses us and enables us to flourish and thrive where we are. So God's blessings are strength, our courage, our wisdom to live justly, to live into love, to be able to be in good, healthy relationships with others, that God's blessings not material, but instead help us flourish in ways that go far beyond material possessions. And so God's telling Isaac, I've got you. I've got you. There are blessings here to enable you to thrive. But Isaac is going to struggle. Isaac is about to make some decisions that are not going to go very well. In verses 7 through 11, when the men who lived there asked about his wife, he said, she's my sister, because he was afraid to say my wife, thinking the men who live there will kill me for Rebecca because she's very beautiful. After Isaac had lived there for some time, the Philistines, King Abimelech, looked out his window and saw Isaac laughing together with his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she's your wife, isn't she? How could you say she's my sister? Isaac responded, because I thought that I might be killed because of her. Abimelech said, what are you trying to do to us? Before long, one of the people would have slept with your wife and you would have made us guilty. Abimelech gave orders to all of the people. Anyone who touches this man or his wife will be put to death. All right. So Isaac's gotten comfortable, but he's cultivated a, a lie about his life. He has been dishonest because of his fear. So his comfort is built upon lies and fears. And he's about to be found out. And what's interesting about this story is it actually parallels the story of Abraham and Sarah. Now, in that case, when Abraham lies about Sarah being a sister, it's a half-truth because she's his half-sister. And that's a whole other discussion. But here, Rebecca is not Isaac's half-sister. Isaac is just afraid. And so he lies. And to recognize how often our fears actually make us choose really bad things. It has us making bad decisions or making decisions that aren't necessary. So here, his fear bubbles up. He concocts this story and come to find out he really didn't need to. His fear was unrealized. In fact, he created a situation for himself, a really difficult situation where Abimelech, like, he's like, man, you lied. Like, this is a problem, right? There's a loss of respect. There's a sense of integrity. There's a sense of, I can't trust you. And so here, a moment of recognizing that sometimes we upset our own days because of our fears. We upset our days. We bring in chaos when we kind of are like, ooh, I don't want to be honest with myself. I don't want to be honest with anybody. Can I just go hide, right? Our decisions can be the things that disrupt our day. And so to be real cognizant of that, of going, wait a minute, are my fears 
creating a bigger problem for me than if I was just honest about, maybe even honest about the fear, honest about our feelings, honest about certain things. And so here we have the disruption. And Abimelech pretty much, he's, he's, he's like, man, I don't, I don't like you anymore, Isaac. I don't want anything to do with you. You can't be honest with me. And Abimelech then turns to his own people and says, do not go near them. To think about the problem that was created. But Isaac's going to learn something from it. Going to verses 12 through 17. Isaac planted grain in that land and reaped 100 shirim that year because the Lord had blessed him. Isaac grew richer and richer until he was extremely wealthy. He had livestock, both flocks and cattle, and many servants. As a result, the Philistines envied him. The Philistines closed up and filled with dirt all the wells with his father's that his father's servants had dug during his father Abraham's time. Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us because you have become too powerful among us. So Isaac moved away from there, camped in the valley of Gerar, and lived there. All right. So Isaac recognizes, you know what? I screwed that up. Like, I shouldn't have lied. I shouldn't have gone down that path. I do not need to do that. I need to figure out how to thrive how to flourish exactly where I am. And so that's what Isaac does. He decides, you know what? I'm going to make the best of this situation. I am going to try because God is with me. God is going to bless me with wisdom, with love, with being ever present, with the strength and and the courage. Does it mean that those blessings made Isaac's life easier? In some ways, yes but he still has to deal with the Philistines. And the Philistines, throughout the Hebrew scriptures, they are this like overarching, uh, an arch nemesis of sorts. And what's interesting is like, it's, it's the obstacle for the Israelites. The Philistines become the obstacle, the challenge for whatever they're experiencing. And so here, right, the Philistines are an obstacle for Isaac, that Isaac has to respond to because they keep closing up those wells, which are so important for his life to thrive. But he's like, you know what? I'm just going to deal with it. And he keeps going about his day and he's, he's focused on trying to thrive where he is, even though there's kind of chaos swirling around him, that he's going to respond well to those obstacles instead of like he had responded before to the obstacle, to the challenge with fear. Now he is responding more from a place of how God is with him. And so he's beginning to take this, make this shift in his life. He's shifting his energy. And it comes to a point where he's flourishing, he's thriving so much that Abimelech's like, like, there's a lot of envy going on. There's a lot of jealousy. Can you just move a little further out? So that's a disruption to his life, right? 
A disruption comes not because Isaac did anything at this point, but because of something else, an outside force. And so often we have those moments where we didn't necessarily create it. We're like living our lives and we're doing well. And then there's this disruption. There's this obstacle that comes. And we're like, what is even the purpose of that? Why are we, why is it making my life so much more difficult? Why? Why? And here, Abimelech offers a solution. He's like, you know what? Just move a little bit further out. And Isaac agrees. And so a perspective of how do we respond to obstacles from a place that God is guiding us, that God is directing us, that God is blessing us with peace, God is blessing us with joy. God is blessing us with courage and strength and wisdom. And Isaac goes, okay, we can do this. Maybe it's not what he wanted, but how often do we find ourselves in the push and pull of life where we want it one way and that's the only way we want it and something happens that makes it not our way and then we have to navigate it. And how do we navigate it well? And so Isaac is showing us how to live into that peace in the moment where the disturbance happens, where we don't like what's going on, but we are able to respond. We can respond in such a way that helps the situation, may still not be what we want, but it helps instead of hinders. There's a growing respect now between Abimelech and Isaac. It's still not great because of things that have happened, but here Abimelech is at least trying to work with Isaac. It may not be exactly what Isaac wants, but that's also part of us building a more peaceful life, of being able to enjoy our day, of going, you know what, it doesn't always have to go my way. Continuing on in verses 20 through 25, Isaac shepherds argued with Gerar's shepherds, each claiming this is our water. So Isaac named the well Ezek because they quarreled with him. They dug another well and argued about it too. So he named it Rehoboth and said, now the Lord has made an open space for us and has made us fertile in the land. Then he went up from Gerar to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the Lord, your father, Abraham. I'm the God of your father, Abraham. Don't be afraid because I am with you. I will bless you and I will give you many children for my servant, Abraham's sake. So Isaac built an altar there and worshiped in the Lord's name. Isaac pitched his tent there and his servants dug a well. All right. So Isaac moves further out, right? He's trying to navigate the situation from a place that God is with him and God reminds him. He's in a spot. We can probably see he's like, man, why does this keep happening? I keep trying, but things aren't going right. Or why do we all have to argue about whatever? And God goes, nope, I'm with you, Isaac. Do not fear. I will continue to bless you. So a helpful reminder and we need those helpful reminders that God is with us, that God still loves us, that God is still guiding us, that God still desires peace and joy for our, for our lives. But it's a matter of following and going, all right, how do I figure this out? 
Which way do I go? What decision, what decisions do I make? How do I respond in such a way that is from God and not from just, well, this is what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And so as God reminds Isaac, it brings him clarity because it refocuses him. It refocuses what is taking Isaac's energy and attention because he could sit stuck and go, why are we still arguing? Why is everybody at each other's throats? He could sit in, I don't like this, but instead this moment refocuses him on how God is with him. And he does something interesting. He begins to shift his energy to focusing upon God first. And so when he does that, he chooses to worship God. Then he pitches his tent. Then he digs a well. Instead of just moving in, I got work to do. I got to dig a well. Instead, he's reprioritizing his life. Worshiping God first, God takes the focus. That way he's able to care for his home and his family and then the work. And that shift begins to change how he engages with others. It begins to shift within himself. And what's interesting is that as he shifts into this place of God first, then taking care of the others, then the work, that it gets noticed. His priorities shift him into a more peaceful place, not just within himself, but with others. It's interesting to think about this piece about worshiping God. And we see in the early church that often it was short, but a little bit of worship every single morning before the Christians would go out to their regular day. It was like meant to focus them. We see, we see it still today when monks and nuns multiple times a day have prayer time. They worship together. They come together for just a little bit, just so that they are able then to go out, to be present, a time to bring clarity a time to engage with God, a time to refocus. We see it in the even song and the morning song of the Catholic and Anglican churches. And so to think about that for ourselves, about how focusing upon God, taking a little bit of time to worship, whether that is in community or taking a little bit of prayer time, whether it's in the morning, in the evening, or maybe both or throughout the day of refocusing ourselves on what is really important here begins to seep into the rest of everything that we do, everything that we say. So we begin to have clarity in how to deal with all kinds of things. We begin to get clarity in what really matters. We begin to get clarity in how God's peace is ever present, no matter the chaos that is swirling around us, no matter what is happening, no matter the obstacle that we face. Finishing up in verses 26 through 31. But Abimelech set out toward him from Gerar with Ahuza, his ally, and Fikol, the commander of his forces. Isaac said to him, why have you come after me? You resented me and sent me away from you. They said, we now see that the Lord was with you. We propose there be a formal agreement between us and that we draw up a treaty with you. 
you must not treat us badly since we haven't harmed you and since we have treated you well at all times. Then we will send you away peacefully, for you are now blessed by the Lord. Isaac prepared a banquet for them and they gave each other their word. Isaac sent them off and they left peacefully. So now that energy shift, that time that Isaac is taking to shift his energy toward God, toward is very important, toward the blessings that God is giving Isaac, begins to be noticed. And Abimelech, who he didn't mistreat Isaac, but there was tension there. And now even Abimelech's like, wait a minute, there's something different about you. You, There's something different. And we recognize that there is, you've got a peaceful presence that God is with you. And so because Isaac shifted his priorities, because Isaac took the time to be like, you know what? I need to refocus on where God is guiding, to focus upon worshiping God, that then everything else begin, began to change. Even when there's still chaos amok, there's still people saying things, there's still people doing things that they don't like. And here Abimelech comes in and is like, you know what? We need to make peace. We need a treaty. We need everybody to know that there is peace between us. So Isaac's priorities, the energy that he shifted, the priorities that he changed are recognized they are understood, and now they have created new opportunities between himself and others. So when we're thinking about how chaotic things are, how things are kind of swirling, how we just are too busy, too anxious, too overwhelmed, when we are not enjoying life and finding a calmness to our day, whether it's in our relationships, something rattling around in our own brain, or whether it's because of outside events, right? Turn on the news and it's like anxiety inducing. It's that moment of go, hold up, wait a minute. There is a possibility when we refocus, when we reprioritize, when we go, wait a minute, where is God guiding? When we take the time to pray and give thanks and say, God, guide me, God, lead me, God, help me to focus on where to go, on what to say, on how to act today, in the moment, in all kinds of situations. And so it becomes a force that guides us back, that kind of centers us down so that we can have more clarity, that we can get focused, that we can find that peace in situations, whether it's from our own creation or not. And so how will we be challenged in the way we need to shift our priorities today and how we need to shift our energy towards more of, all right, how is God blessing? How is God guiding? How can I worship God? How can I pray? How can I be connected to a God of love that then becomes the foundation for everything else we experience through the day? How does that begin to change us? Does it begin to bring the temperature down a little bit in situations? Do we begin to get a little more perspective? How does that shift in us begin to change our relationship with God, 
the things that we spend too much time on in our heads, how does it begin to shift and change our relationships, whether they are close or with people we don't really know? How will we be challenged by this story today? Amen. Thank you.